Shannon Lyon is a food blogger, recipe creator, and mom of four living in Portland, Oregon, and a friend of mine since our London study abroad days in 2005. Her problem is there's almost no food she doesn't like. She creates recipes that are easy but full of flavor. She teaches cooking and baking techniques at conferences and on her Instagram page, Plum Street Collective. Shannon grew up in Seattle and then attended BYU, double majoring in advertising and English. After college, she worked in advertising as a brand planner while also earning a master's degree in humanities. She loves sharing all her recipes and testing recipes until she gets them just right. Today, Shannon and I talk about food and family, her tips for making the most of dinner time, her perspective as a mother of a child who has a severe food allergy, how to become thoughtful and inclusive to kids who live with this challenge, and some of her best life advice. I think by the end of this interview, you'll know why Shannon is one of my favorite people, and she'll quickly become one of yours too. So today I'm super excited to have a dear friend of mine with me, Shannon Lyon, who I have known since 2005. We're kind of turning into dinosaurs here, but I just love Shannon so much and she is a mom and fellow blogger and someone I just adore. So I can't wait to have you guys get to know her. So thanks for being here, Shannon. Thanks so much for having me. I love listening to your podcast and I am thrilled that we get to talk about some of my favorite things today, food being one of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love food too. So, okay. I've n- actually never done this, but I ran across a fun little getting to know you post. So I wanted to just read off a few things. Some of the stuff I didn't even know about you. So you posted this, let's see, back in March. Okay. I can't even remember now. So. Oh my gosh. It's fun. So random facts about Shannon. I will eat almost anything. Ethnic food is my favorite and I really can't stand Hershey's chocolate. That's pretty funny. But you do like a Cadbury, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Corinne and I did study abroad in London together and we developed a deep love for Cadbury. But yeah, I don't know. Hershey's chocolate has this weird aftertaste to me. Anyway. So funny. Okay. One of my unpopular opinions is that the home edit show was so obnoxious. I couldn't watch it. So funny. I loved that show. I think I watched every episode twice because it was like motivating me to organize my house. Yeah. Well, and I usually love organization shows. I love almost every organization show, but I felt like it was so, it was so chaotic. I think it was more their personalities. They were so loud. It wasn't calming to me. Like I want organization to be this like calming, peaceful thing. I follow organized with Tracy online. I don't know if you follow her on Instagram, but she is so like zen, peaceful, like calming the way she does it. And I just think I need that in my life. You need <laughs> so. Marie Kondo in your life. Yeah. Or Marie Kondo. Yes. I love also. Like, yeah. Let's, let's- pray gratitude out of everything that we're giving away. Yes. Right. Yeah. I just love her. Okay. This was a funny one. I get depressed when it's sunny for too many days in a row. I may need to get to donate my brain to science. That was funny too. (laughs) I didn't know that about you. Well, you know, I grew up in Seattle and I'm just used to the rain and I love the rain. It's comforting to me. And in Seattle, it's a different type of rain than other places. It's not like it doesn't pour a 10, you know, because is your grandma, does she live in Washington still? Yeah. And I lived there. I lived in the Seattle area for a couple of years from when I was like four to 
that four, maybe like my mom could correct me, but four to six or seven. And then, we yeah. So s- it's just more of like a drizzle. Yeah. It's, it's not as much like a harsh, heavy rain. So I think, I don't know, there's something comforting about the overcast weather and we live in Portland now, which I love, but I, I like this then when it comes out in the spring and it's kind of changing seasons, that's really fun. But then in like the middle of summer, I'm like, all right, this is enough. Like, I, I think I'm a vampire. So. That's awesome. I didn't know that about you until I read this. And then you said that you've taught baking classes around the country and on a couple local TV shows. So I would love to just start there and talk about how did you get so into food and why is this a passion for you? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I've taught at um, Pinner's conferences around the country and just for little uh, different local TV shows just for their segments. But it's crazy. When I was a kid, I had a super dysfunctional family. And honestly, like not to make this like a pity story because I don't feel that way about it now, but I didn't have really people, parents around me making food for me a lot. And I remember I was, my sister and I kind of joked that we were like the boxcar children because we were just (laughs) kind of fending for ourselves all the time. And I remember I was like eight and I was trying to teach myself how to make a teriyaki stir fry because I love teriyaki. And I remember trying to teach myself how to make a cake because obviously I've always loved food, but I didn't really have someone teaching and showing me. So I always just kind of tried to teach myself from a young age how to do that. And then obviously when I got married, I think is when I got a lot more into it because I had someone all the time to cook for and, you know, taste my experiments and things like that. So anyway, so it became kind of a passion of mine um, just as I've grown up. And for me, food is love and it just brings us together. And I feel like I, I want that feeling in my home that I didn't have when I was young. So, yeah. So talk to me about that idea of gathering families together, why it's so important to you to teach and to advocate for family time, family meal time. Yeah. Well, we all know, yeah, we all know there are research out there that uh, when, when children have consistent family dinner together, they end up a lot less likely to turn to drugs and alcohol and things like that and substance abuse. And that's obviously important, but I think there's just something about it, whether it's family or friends or any relationships you have, food brings people together, whether it's your family dinner that you're consistently trying to have every night at home together, or if it's like, you know, you meet up with an old friend, well, what do you do? Usually you get lunch or you get a smoothie or you get something together and that really connects people and brings them together, kind of breaks your walls down to eat together. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's old things about breaking bread together is like the highest form you could show someone of, of love toward them. And so I love that aspect of it. And I also, I've had a lot of different followers. I have a food blog and some of my recipes um, are more complicated. Some are more simple, but I've had people say to me, Oh, I just can't cook a complicated meal every night. Or I feel so burned out by trying to cook all the time. And one thing I always try to teach and something I try to do with my family is I only cook a couple kind of bigger meals a week. And then I use, let's say like right now I have a pot roast in my crock pot and I'm going to use it for two nights. And so tonight I'm going to be doing more prep, but then tomorrow it's going to be a pretty easy night because we're just going to make sliders with the leftovers. So I try to tell people like, you don't have to cook something nice every night. Even this one, one of my followers was telling me she was struggling so much. Her husband worked late and she was trying to make nice dinners for her kids and they just weren't eating it. I'm like, don't just make nice dinners for your toddlers. Just make them something simple and enjoy the time together. Even though I like nice food, that's not what's most important. The food itself doesn't matter. You could be feeding your kids chicken nuggets and like 
you know, green beans for dinner. It really mm-hmm. doesn't matter what they're having. They're going to remember that time together. So I always tell people that even though I like nice recipes and nice food, don't push yourself to do that all the time. When you're in the mood to do that, great, make a nice meal. But if you're not, focus more on being together rather than actually what you're eating. Yeah, I love that. And I agree with that too. Sometimes I feel like my kids don't really, they just want, you know, basic food, but they do really appreciate the time together. And it's funny, I have such different personalities too with kids. And I'm sure you found this with your own kids too. I recently started writing down what we we're going to eat on a whiteboard. And my daughter, Lila, I didn't even think any of the kids were paying attention. It was more for me to just be able to plan and know like, okay, this is what I'm making. This is a plan. These are the groceries I need. And one of the nights I switched it because I just didn't start dinner early enough. So I switched it to something easier. And she was like, mom, I thought we were having tacos tonight. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I didn't didn't know you were paying attention. But, you know, family dinner time is really important to her and to, I think, to all of my kids. But okay, so when you have your kids sitting down for a meal, what do you do to keep them engaged so that because sometimes that's hard for me. Neil just likes to sit down and eat and not really talk. Oh, totally. I have one son like this. He'll eat like his whole dinner in like three minutes. He's like, all right, I'm done. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just sit down and hang out with us. Yeah. So how do you make that time meaningful? How do you get your kids to talk? What conversation starters do you use to get that to be a meaningful time? Yeah. So I actually made a reel about this last year and I'll try to send it to you, but basically as they get older, I think you really have to be more intentional about what you're doing. You can't just sit down and say, Oh, how was your day? Cause you know, as they get older, they're just like, it was fine. I mean, yeah. It was whatever. So we actually have a couple of different conversation starter things that I keep on our table. And there's also seasonal ones. Like I got one for the summer that was like America themed and it had, you know, questions and oh, cute about, you know, different facts of American history. But the one that I have loved the most is called loaded questions. And I'll try to find it. There's also the table topics, which I really like those as well. And um, Brooke Romney, if you follow her, she has a list of really great conversation starters for families on her website. But um, cool, love loaded questions because they're kind of quirky, interesting that you can ask. You can ask your family, and everybody will go around and take a turn and answer. You know what. what invention they would create, or if they could only eat one food for the rest of their life, what would it be? And it's just, it ends up being fun and just kind of creates more of just a good feeling of a memory at the table. They might not remember exactly what the questions were, what we talked about, but I think it just gets us all interacting together at the table and doing something. So we try to do those conversation starters all the time. And one great part of COVID was we honestly, for a little over a year, I think we ate dinner together every single night because all the kids activities here in Oregon were canceled. And as frustrating as that was, I said to my husband, like, this is amazing that we have had family dinner consistently because sometimes when they have swim team or, you know, baseball or piano were, you know, a couple of us are eating at one time, a couple at another. And I really just love family dinner so much that I'm like anything we can do to make this happen together. <laughs> so yeah, our kids are still in that sweet spot where they're done with activities by five or five 30 ish. And so I'm nice. just <laughs> holding on to it as long as I can so that we can all eat together right around, you know, five 36. And I know that's not going to be that way forever, but I do really love that. And I've even kind of said no to a couple of activities um 
when they're, when they cross into that time. Cause I'm like, Nope, this is our, I know it won't be that way forever, but for right. now it won't be, but you can control things too. And I have even heard of people, uh, that will do family dinner later. Like, you know, when mm-hmm. everybody's home from stuff and they'll just have a really big snack after school or people that will have family dinner really early before the activities begin, you know, so whatever works for your family, but doing it as much as you can together, it is really, really important. Even if yeah. they don't think they want it. Like my oldest is 11 and sometimes, you know, they get that age. Well, is, is Annabelle 10? How old is your oldest again? She's eight, almost nine. Oh, she's eight. Okay. I yeah. thought she was a little older, but as they get a little bit in that tween phase, sometimes they're a little too cool, you know, to oh, want to yeah. hang out family. And, and so just doing the things like conversation starters or, or something at the table together helps draw out the kids that might naturally be a little bit less engaged. Totally. So what do you do with your kids? Do you have any picky eaters or do they all eat the food that you make? No. So I have four kids. I have three boys and one girl and my boys, they're amazing. They will eat anything. They'll eat curry. They'll eat salmon. They love, they love food. It's, it's actually fun to cook for them. And my daughter is very, very picky. And I think it might be a textural issue because she Mm -hmm. likes like she'll like certain vegetables and things. It's not that she won't eat them. It's just all about the texture with her. So one thing I started doing last year is I started having her cook with me on meals that were a little more, I don't know, complex. Like if I was making like a Thai dish or something that I was really worried she was not going to want to eat. And I noticed that when she would help me, it would go such a long way to at least getting her to try it. But a lot of times having her like it. So she's really good at Mm. trying everything. We have our kids try everything I make. um, And she doesn't, you know, like it some of the time. And that's totally fine. We're really trying to not push her into like forcing her to finish her plate. If she doesn't like it, Um, I'll try to like if I make pad thai or something and she doesn't want the pad thai, I'll reserve some of the noodles on the side with just some separate vegetables. Like she's kind of one of those that likes her food in piles. You know? So yeah. that sounds so good right now, by the way. I'm like, Ooh, pad thai. It's like no. lunchtime. Yeah. It's lunchtime, <laughs> but I, yeah, I love, I love Asian and ethnic food. So, and my boys love that too, but I think with her, I'm just trying to get her exposed to it. I'm like, I don't want to yeah. force her to eat anything, but I, was um, when I grew up, my dad is Buddhist and we used to go to like Nepalese restaurants and things like that. And I just appreciated so much that he exposed me to that. Mm-hmm. Even though when I was a kid, I remember at certain restaurants, like being kind of picky or like, why do my parents always want to go to like Indian restaurants or Thai restaurants? And I just want to go to like Red Robin or, you know, like, but take me to McDonald's. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But as I got older. I, and I remember when I went to college, I was so grateful that I was exposed to a lot of that and it was familiar to me. So I'm hoping with my daughter, I can just kind of expose her to a lot of different unique foods and maybe when she's older, she'll like them. So. Yeah. And I love the suggestion of involving them in making the food and feeling invested in creating the meal for your family. Cause I've been doing that with my older girls, especially with Annabelle. She really loves to cook. And she just takes so much pride in it. And then she's also good about cleaning up with me too. Oh, I love where that. I'm like, oh. okay, since you helped me cook, you got we got to clean up. And and I actually, the funny thing is, I still make them clean up either way. Like after right. after a meal that she didn't help with, I'm like, okay, help with the dishes. But if she helped clean or if she helped cook, then she's for whatever reason more invested in 
Yeah, they take our pride in it. It's like we're eating dinner and she helped make it. She's like, we're serving you. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not just like mom's putting dinner on the table. So that's awesome that she's already doing that at only eight. I mean, man, you should just get her in charge of that. (laughs) I know. Well, I actually taught her how to make a pot of rice the other day. And I was showing her how to rinse the rice and how to measure the water. And so the next night she's like, mom, can I make rice for dinner? And I was like, oh, we're we're not having rice. Like, I think we were having pizza or something. But I was like, the next time we need rice. You're on it. So yeah. Chocolate chip cookies. And now she wants to make them like every single day. I'm like, well, we can't make them every day. Yeah. Maybe not every day, but oh, that's so cute. I love that. Okay. I really want to talk to you about food allergies and you've done some posts that have been really helpful for me and educational for me as a mom who, well, I want to talk about a couple of things. First of all, I don't remember this being a thing. Like, I do not remember going to elementary school and ever having it be like, oh, don't bring peanut butter and jelly because there's five kids here who will go into shock if you (laughs) bring peanut butter around them. Like, I just don't remember that being a thing, but it is totally a thing now. So let's talk about it. Why, Why that didn't even exist when we were kids. Right. So I did find this. It was, it's 50, it's grown, food allergies in kids have grown 50% in the past 20 years. They're at 50%. Wow. And then I think it's even more than that if you go back further, like if you go back like 60 years. But one of the things out there is called the hygiene hypothesis, which is that we live in such a cleaner time, not even just, not even just food wise, mm-hmm. but Um, You know, our kids are not being raised on farms and exposed to livestock diseases and germs. And so we live in such a cleaner society now, our food also that our our kids aren't building up necessarily like a lot of the antibodies um, to toxins. And it's, it's kind of overwhelming when you first find out your child has a food allergy, because there's this element of it, like, did I do something to cause this? And really find a lot of research out there where people will say, oh, well, if you feed your kid too much of this, they're going to get an allergy. Or if you don't feed them enough of this, they're going to get an allergy. And Mm -hmm. what we found in our house to just be most helpful is to not, not worry about the blame of like, how did this happen? I mean, honestly, we are pretty healthy. We don't eat anything really wacky or extreme. So I really don't think it came from anything specific we did, but in the long run, that's not really helpful. Like my son has a severe peanut allergy. We don't know exactly what caused it, but we know we can help, you know, we can help with it and help make it better for him. So, yeah. So what can other parents do? Like for someone like me who I don't have kids that I know of that have food allergies, but I'd like to be considerate to other people. What, what really helps you when other people do things that it's like, Oh, that is so helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Well, there, the cool thing is there's not anything super, super difficult you have to do. It's not like you have to go join some nonprofit organization. The biggest thing that you can do is just talk to your, um, the parents of your kids' friends or the kids in, or the parents of the classroom that your kids are in and ask them if there are any allergies, honestly, even when someone does that on a baseball team, like my son's baseball coach will ask, are there any allergies? And immediately it helps me feel like that is a safe space because my son's peanut allergy is anaphylactic, meaning that his, his throat will close. Like he will die. It, he can die within minutes of having yeah. peanut. And there's been stories all over the news. You know, there was this really cute boy who, I think he was a teenager in Utah last summer and he died at an event. He went to a gathering with friends and family. It might've been two summers ago and someone had put some peanut butter and a cookie and he didn't know it was there. And and there's just these crazy stories. So the biggest thing I think people can do is just ask Mm -hmm. if there are 
first of all. That makes someone feel like they're in a safe space. Secondly, they're on the side of caution. And I always tell my friends this, and I feel like when you have a child with an allergy, you kind of have to speak up a little bit more than you might want to about it. But you know what? Just err on the side of caution. Don't bring things with... um, with nuts or peanuts to like big activities, whether it's like at school or at church or just at a get together with friends, because, um, you, you never know who there might have allergies. Um, I think one thing that's really sad about a lot of the kids stories I hear of kids passing away is it's usually a family friend, uh, that baked mm-hmm. or them because think about it when you're getting together with a group of people, whether it's like a neighbor's backyard or a church activity or a school activity, it's usually people, you know, well, yeah. and there was, a couple summers ago of a girl who ate a Rice Krispie treat and had an anaphylactic reaction and died because there were there was peanut butter in the Rice Krispies because you know sometimes people make it that way oh like a like a scotchy yeah yeah yeah, like a scotchy or something like Mm -hmm. that but it looked like a regular Rice Krispie treat and you know it's just so sad because then not only does the family have to deal with losing their child but it was like one of their good friends that made it it's just it's so scary I'm like you know what just ask first of all ask second of all just err on the side of caution when you are making food like for an event or anything like that and uh, another thing people can do is they can ask their friends if their kids have food allergies how to use what's called an EpiPen trainer so I had obviously never used an EpiPen till I had a child with a severe allergy. I didn't have any allergy growing up. This is something I used to think was so frustrating. Just like you're saying, oh, there's so many more allergies now. This is so annoying. Like you can't bring all these things to class. And it's like, yeah, it's it's a slight inconvenience for someone whose kids don't have allergies, but it means saving a life to someone whose child does have allergies that are severe. Yeah. But every EpiPen comes in like a a pack and they have a trainer pen in there and it doesn't have any medicine in it or any uh, epinephrine, but it it basically, you can practice on it. It's kind of strange. I don't know if you've ever seen one before, but Mm -hmm. if if you ever babysitting, for example, or, you know, a kid that had an allergy or one of your girls um, had a really good friend over playing that had an allergy, you could just ask the mom, Hey, could you just show me how to use that? Cause sometimes people will leave an EpiPen and just assume, you know, how to use it. But I think just asking, um, it just kind of means that it's like a safe space, you know, for your... So so for anyone listening to this, like myself, who's never even thought about that or been in a situation where I've needed to know, can you tell, can you give like a couple tips right here on this podcast so that... Yes. Like someone like me knows what to do if there was a... An EpiPen is basically, it looks like a stick and it has a shot in it that is, that contains epinephrine, which basically... It would keep, if you had a severe reaction and your throat was closing, um, it would abate the reaction long enough for you to get to the hospital. So it's not a total cure. Anytime you use an EpiPen, you still have to call 911 and you still want to go to the hospital. Basically, it's like a stick and it's plastic on the outside. So no needle is exposed. And what you have to do is you have to like jab it really hard into, they say the upper thigh is the best place to do it. I know it's so scary. I know, but let me say, if your kid is not breathing, you will, you will do it. You will stick it in, even though it sounds overwhelming. So basically they say that the upper thigh is like the fleshiest kind of part. Um, There's like a lot of flesh and muscle there. So you would um, like jab it like into their thigh Mm -hmm. and, 
and you would hold it there. And basically then you would call 911 right away. And that would alleviate their symptoms enough so that like their, their airways went closed. Um, but then you would want to get them to a hospital. So that's kind of the gist of it. And there are several different models of EpiPen. So you would want to see specifically, like if you were babysitting for one of your kids, good friends who had a severe allergy, you'd want to just kind of learn what that model looked like. I know it seems it really when I first found it's good to know because it's so stressful and it's not something you would ever wish upon yourself you know it's just it's a little bit overwhelming because food is everywhere so yeah so on the upper thigh if a kid is wearing pants you just like do it right through their clothes or you yeah you do it right through the can pull like you know if it was jeans or something thicker you could pull it pull the pants down a little bit to to get right into the skin. But if it was just like leggings or, or something thinner, you could just go right through. Um, It was an emergency. So yeah, that's good to know. Okay. How did you guys discover this food allergy? Cause that's something that I'm always thinking about too. If it is actually life-threatening, then how am I going to know if it's happening to one of my kids? I swear, I swear God like whispered it to me when, when this happened, I'll tell you the story. So my son, he's 11 now, but he was two when this happened. And just as a backstory, he had eaten peanut butter. I had given him little peanut butter sandwich pieces, like sent from basically age one to two, like he'd been exposed to peanut butter. You know, sometimes people will say if they've never had it and then they eat it, that's what causes the allergy. But I know that wasn't true for us. And, um, so he had been exposed to it, but he hadn't had it in a couple months and we were actually loading up in the car. I had a son who had just turned two and my daughter was three months old. They're pretty close in age. And I was getting her in the car to take her to a a well check at the doctor. Mm -hmm. And I had a little pack of Reese's PCs on the counter. They weren't my kids, but they were on there. And he grabbed one off the counter and he ate it. And he immediately just started coughing so hard. And at first I just thought he choked on it because, Mm -hmm. you know, like a little candy, your, your child's eating. And we have never had any history of allergies in either my, my family or my husband's family. So I just have food allergies. So I didn't know what was happening. And I literally had a voice say to me in my head, peanut allergy. And I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't thought that, but we immediately put him right in the car and took him right to the pediatrician because I was about to go there anyway. Mm-hmm. And the pediatrician um, gave him something for the swelling. Luckily, his airway didn't close, but he was coughing and swelling. And then right there, they did a test on him and they sent, um, they took, you know, did his blood work and they tested him and our, the panels came back and showed that he did have a peanut allergy. And the way that it happened, I was really grateful because that is scary. Like, what if your child eats something and coughs? It's like, well, did they just choke a little bit or totally. do they allergy? You know, yeah. so one thing people can do is you can get tested from your pediatrician. Um, they can do tests for all types of allergies. You might have seen pictures of kids that have. Um, we have a friend whose son has all these food allergies, and they basically put a tiny bit of the irritant on their back, yeah. and like. The- Rid. And you, some kids will have like, you know, 10 different food allergies. And, and luckily my, my son only has one, but it is severe. So that's how we found out. And I felt really lucky that it was like, we were on the way to the doctor and I had this kind of prompting in my head that said like peanut allergy, because otherwise I honestly probably wouldn't have even known that I would have just thought, Oh, he just choked on his candy. He'll be fine. <laughs> wow. Know? Yeah. I just, I don't know that I would have thought of that either, but that's really, really cool that you had yeah. that. 
you know, that prompting to know what to do. He was too little to read labels and things like that at that time. Obviously, he's older now and he's really cautious and will go to get togethers, you know, at school or friends' houses or church. And he just will be like, I'm not going to eat anything. And honestly, a lot of times I volunteer um, because then he can eat what I have. And yeah. for his little, I'll send him with some treats specific to him. It, they, they say it's like a net free classroom, but sometimes he still gets a little bit nervous eating anything that someone else brought. So sometimes I'll just send uh, some treats to the teacher and leave him in the class that he can eat that are safe. He just, he gets a little bit anxious about it. And I'm not happy that he is, but I know that he's really cautious, which makes me happy. So, yeah. Yeah. So how do you do that as a family? Like your other kids don't ever have a peanut butter and jelly or they. Yeah, we, we actually have really tried to keep our house a safe space. Mm -hmm. Our pediatrician recommended this when he was young, like your house should always be a place where he doesn't have to worry about what he's going to eat. And so do not eat it. And they have had it. I know my other kids don't have allergies because they've been tested. And so they've had a peanut butter sandwich at a friend's house. Um, my son is named Henry, who's eight. And he had this uh, assistant in his class one time, this kind of teacher's helper who like loved the Oh Henry bars. Have you ever heard of those candies? <laughs> and I've she's- heard of them. I don't know that I've ever had one though. I think I had either. And she emailed me and said, you know, I really wanted to buy one of these for Henry as a gift. Would it be okay? And I'll make sure he eats it in class because he said his brother has a peanut allergy. My other kids are kind of protective about the allergy. And so that's fine. So my kids, they have eaten peanut butter elsewhere, but they don't eat it at home. And my husband and I, like when we go on dates, we'll be like, peanut butter, (laughs) M&M's. Yeah. Get yourself a Reese's like at the gas station or something. I get a Reese's. Yeah, we because we obviously love peanut butter, but we've said, you know, it's an inconvenience to us. It's kind of annoying. We can't have it at home, but it makes our home a safe space for him. And so we yeah. get all and we get other things like that for other kids, but um, we don't keep any peanut products in our house. Yeah. What about, I've always wondered about this when I walk onto an airplane and they're just handing peanuts out. I always wonder like, how does this go? Like if I can't even send my kid with peanut butter and jelly to school. How does that work out when you're on an airplane in that enclosed space? Yeah, it is crazy to me. Airplanes still do that, honestly, because most people that have a peanut allergy, it's very severe. It's like some people have a food allergy to eggs and they'll get a little rash or some swelling, but they won't die. So some people that have a peanut uh, allergy, very severe, cannot inhale any peanut dust and it will be sent to the hospital. Luckily, my son, he can be on an airplane where people are eating peanuts as long as he doesn't touch them. He's fine. So you should see me when we fly, we get, I get on the plane before everyone and I wipe down all the seats, you know, and we bring for him. And I mean, he's used to it by now. And, you know, I have anxiety. So of course he's like... (laughs) mom, it's fine. (laughs) And I'm like furiously wiping everything down. But so he's kind of used to that now. And I I think, well, hey, if anything, it's just keeping us from getting all the other gross germs that exist on an airplane. So yeah, traveling, flying, going to new restaurants, things like that. It's always tough. I do appreciate Disney for that reason. They're very, very good about allergies. They are. Every restaurant you go to, are there any food allergies? Yeah. Every time. Oh, so real. It made him feel so good when we went to Disney World last year because he's like, they never ask that at restaurants, you know? So, and he loves Asian food and that can be tricky too because a lot of um, different types of Asian food have peanuts in them. And and peanuts hide in a lot of places. My brother-in-law 
brought us back some treats from Brazil once when he went on a trip there. And one of them was an Oreo branded snack and my son can have Oreos. So I thought, okay, you can have one of those, but everything was in Portuguese. I couldn't read the ingredients. And, um, he had one of these little Oreo treats and it sent him, um, into anaphylaxis and it was crazy. And after everything happened, you know, we, we went back to Google the ingredients and one of them was peanut derivative, which was, wow. It's in it, but it was some type of like, I don't know, peanut byproduct that was used in the making of this, you know, little cookie. So it's, it's just scary, but that's why biggest thing other people can do is just have compassion. Yeah. be thoughtful. It's not something I would ever want. You know, I think it's really annoying too, that we can't have, you know, like peanut butter granola bars in classrooms, but it can definitely save a kid's life. So. Yeah. That's so good to know and to understand and to hear from a mom's perspective, because it does just change everything. If it's your own kid, I know you, know, who you have to protect. Yeah. It's a totally different. Yeah. It's a different game. Okay. I just, there was one time that you shared on your Instagram, on your stories, I think, about this is shifting a little bit to a different subject, but you talked about girls' trips and how you have one rule on a girls' trip. And I was like, that is so cool. I love that. So, will you share what your one rule is and why you have that rule? Is there, I'm hoping this is the post you're talking about, but the rule is to not talk badly about other, other women. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. 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 I, I've, been on different girls trips with friends in different places we've lived. And I have just found that anytime the conversation starts to come to uh, other women and negative speak about them, it gives me the worst feeling inside. It's like that person isn't even here, doesn't even know what we're talking about. And yet we're all, you know, quote unquote, ganging up on them. And so I made a rule for myself after that happened one time, like, this is not okay. I don't even want to be a part of that. I want any time spent with girlfriends to be uplifting and I don't want to just be bashing other people, you know? So, so that is something that I think changes your dynamic with friends, with friends. Also, um, Brene Brown once said that gossip is like a hot wired connection Mm -hmm. where you don't actually have a connection with somebody. If all you do is gossip with them, what you have is you kind of have a fake friendship built on your mutual hatred of someone else, I think is how she puts it. Mm -hmm. So rather saying like, Oh, well this person and I, like we have a lot in common. It's like, no, that's not what you have. You have a mutual hatred of someone else, but you two might not have a lot in common, you know? So I I think honestly, it was after I read that talk by Brene Brown, I think it might've been in one of her Ted talks um, that I was thinking that is so true. And if you think about your deepest friendships that you have with people, it it doesn't, it's not the friendships where, you know, it's where gossip is included. It's the friendships where you have other great things to talk about that have nothing to do with coming down on other people. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So if you're in a situation like that, what do you do to like re-navigate? Because you don't want to be a little like holier than thou, like nobody God. But I think one of the biggest things I'll say is like, come on guys, come on. Like, you you know, we don't need to talk about that. You know, you don't have to like, I will never utter one word negatively about someone, but just say like, come on, or you can, I, I think one thing that does help too sometimes is standing up for someone. Um, so 
example, if, if people are saying something negative about a friend of yours, you say, actually, you know what I really love about this person? And you try to find something really great about them to share instead. And I think it not only kind of stops people in their tracks to be like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said something mean, but it also helps other people to see the goodness they have. Or, oh, do you know why someone might have acted like that? They were probably going through a really hard time because X, Y, and Z just happened in their family or, or whatever. And mm-hmm. I think not only stopping it, but actually speaking good about them can can be the best thing in that kind of situation. But it can be hard. I mean, sometimes you might just have to leave a conversation Um I had a friend once who gossiped so negatively about so many people and I just had to really distance myself from her because I felt like I never made anything big about it. Like, I don't want to be your friend anymore. You know, I just, I just did not feel good when I was around her. I felt like anytime I was with her, she was always bad mouthing people. And it made me think, well, okay, so what are you saying about me when I, right, you know, and not only that, I just didn't like the feeling and I just. I feel like I have a lot of that empath in me where I I get very affected by the people's emotions around me. And so when people are really, really negative, it's hard for me to be around. Not that anyone has to be positive all the time, but when people are, um, are gossiping a lot, it, it really affects me. Yeah. Well, I love that you're an advocate for others too. Like you said, you know, you think of something kind to say about them and that I feel like that's one of your strengths is to advocate for others <laughs> some people there there isn't always something nice to say but then you just it's just you don't say anything you know <laughs> yeah words of affirmation love language I don't know if you've ever done the love languages yeah. test and so I'm totally words of affirmation so for me that's like the highest like thing you can do to someone is to compliment them but that's also like the worst thing you can do to someone is to speak badly about them. So I think that's probably why, why it's important important to to you. Yeah. I didn't know that about you, but I love learning that about you. I think that quality time is really important to me, which is funny because quality time is like the bottom of the list for Neil. Oh, (laughs) so funny. And I'm also kind of embarrassed to say that I'm a gifts person. Like it means so much to me if Neil like thinks to get me something and that sounds so dumb and materialistic, but I think it's superficial. I think that the way it's kind of described in the book might make people think that, but my dad is this way also, but he gives the most thoughtful gifts. Like it's not just like, oh, I want to buy some piece of junk for somebody. Like any gift he gets for myself or my kids, like had so much thought that went into it and anything he's bought for us. It's like, we love it, but we never knew we needed it. And there, that is a skill. Honestly, some people have that ability to to give really good gifts or they appreciate it a lot when, when they get a gift. And it really just shows that you appreciate someone thinking about you, right? It's not just like serial thing, you know? Yeah. Gifts are funny and memorable for me. Like my mom and I were talking about, she said something about, Oh, like your kids will never remember what you gave them for Christmas. And I'm like, I remember what I got for Christmas almost every year. And she said, that's because you're a (laughs) gifts person. And actually, Shannon, I have something so funny to tell you that you probably completely forgot about, but I still remember getting invited to your bridal shower Okay. And being so poor because I was a student and being so stressed about finding like lingerie <laughs> to buy oh for God. you. And I remember going to like TJ Maxx or Ross or something like that and buying like the cheapest lingerie I could find because I really wanted to buy that for you. But I was like so broke at the time. And you were super nice about it. And you were like, yeah, this isn't my size, but... um 
But, you know, this is so cute. You were like really nice about it. And I just remember being like, oh my gosh, that was the only thing I could afford. Oh my God, you're so nice. Isn't that so funny that I remember that specific detail about a gift? Because it's just, I don't know. I don't remember because I'm not a gift. I don't, I don't remember. Like you said, I probably wouldn't remember gifts like I got for Christmases or things like that. But, um, but I do enjoy getting gifts for, for other people. So that's, I think that some, in some ways you can be like, you can show your love language differently than you receive it. Right. Yeah. Don't book, you know, like I really do get enjoy getting gifts for my kids for Christmas or for my husband for his birthday. And, but it's funny, you said that your husband is low with the quality time because I, Mitch is very low with words of affirmation. Like to him, it's really, yeah. So he'll try really hard. Like, and he'll like give me these compliments or something after I've done something for him. And I can tell he's like trying to do it. (laughs) That's awesome that he's willing to make the effort. That's really great. Thing, how real they are though. I've seen it with my kids. I've actually figured out my kids love languages because it helps me a lot with them to know what they need from me. So. Yeah. It is really helpful to learn that too. I feel like I'm getting better at understanding that for my kids. And it, it is like for my physical touch kids, I have a couple of those. They just want to, they'll like, Millie is totally physical touch and she'll say, tickle me. She'll come and ask me to tickle her. And I'm like, Okay. Like in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like, I don't really want to have to do this for the next half an hour, but it's like, that's how she feels loved. So I just, yeah, my two younger boys are that way and they want snuggles and Mm -hmm. Elliot to like tickle his back and lay with him in bed. And I'm just like, all right, is this over yet? Right. (laughs) I would feel like a horrible mom, but I'm not a physical touch love language. Yeah. But I love that you're in tune with that with your kids and and with your marriage. And I think that's, it really improves the quality of life of everyone. If you know how to connect in that way. Expectations really well too. Like if you have a friend, like I live by this friend and she was like, I just feel like I don't see you enough. And I realized, oh, she's totally quality time, but I'm like, go, go, go in my own life. And I see you great. But if I don't, that's fine. Like if we talk on the phone, cause I'm words of affirmation, I'm good. And I, I told myself, I need to make a point to make sure I see her every week. Otherwise, I'll just go a couple of weeks and like not really see her, you know, so. Yeah. Oh, well, you're always so thoughtful that way, like thinking about others and what, what will, you know, help others. And I feel like that is a gift you have, too, that a lot of other people, it's like not even on their radar to, to be thoughtful enough to think about like, oh, that's the connection that this person needs. So I love that about you. Okay, Shannon, my last question for you that I always ask everyone is if there's one message that you want the people listening to this episode to remember, what do you want that one message to be? I think what we talked about at the beginning that family dinner is so important for your family, but it does not matter what you're eating. It could be the simplest sandwich. It could be Chick-fil-A. It could be something so simple, but just make sure that you're together and that you have that time together. That is, you know, obviously we've talked about a lot of other things today, but that to me is so important. I don't think that you need to make stress around the food. You don't need to stress your kids out about finishing things that they hate. You don't need to stress them out um, about, you know, making a crazy big dinner every night and then you're flustered. I think it's just, they want their parents. They want them there. They want the undivided attention of everyone being there together as a family. And even if they act like they don't, they really do. So I think, important thing that I would say we've talked about today. I love that. 
Well, thanks again, Shannon, for spending this time with me and sharing all this wisdom and really wonderful insights. Where can people find you if they want to come see you and follow along with the recipes that you're making and the things you're doing with your kids and your family? So they can find me on Instagram at Plum Street Collective or my blog, my food blog is PlumStreetCollective.com. And that's where I share my recipes. And on my Instagram, I share a little more about our life also. Awesome. Thanks so much, Shannon. You, Corinne, you're the best. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode. Oh, 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 oh,